fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is, man. A brand new week, a brand new day, hopefully, mostly, probably, most individuals recovering from the shenanigans of last night and the Super Bowl 57 officially being all done and wrapped up. Did you watch it? Did you pay attention to it? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it today. I have to admit, though, I am a bit discouraged. Got to admit, the most entertaining part of the entire Super Bowl was the actual game itself, which I <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be that way, but I wasn't really impressed with the rest of it at all. The halftime show, pfft, no, I'll pass on that one. I did not need to see, who was it, Rihanna? I mean, she sings decent, but it wasn't even her live, as you could see. She'd sing to the microphone, turn this way as the microphone was held the other way, and then it would still be singing in the background. So, no, that was taped. And production-wise, really just wasn't that impressive for, like, the biggest stage in the entire year. When you're talking to millions upon millions of people watching this broadcast, it just wasn't impressive, in my opinion. I did not need to see a bunch of Eskimo penguins dancing around in white yesterday. Her, which congratulations on the little one having the baby, having the baby bump. That's cool. Outside of that, like she didn't move around a whole lot. She stood there and fake singed while everybody danced around her. Not that impressive, in my opinion. Commercials, meh. Remember the days when the commercials used to be the highlight of the Super Bowl and people would watch it not for the game but for the commercials, and it really just wasn't that impressive. Uh, maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm just the whole get off my lawn kind of guy right now and feeling a little bit older. But I miss the days when you would watch it and you would have the Clydesdale from Budweiser or you would have the Budweiser frogs. Remember Budweiser? Remember those guys? That was classic commercials for the Super Bowl. I don't think there was a single Budweiser commercial during the entire Super Bowl game like yesterday. There was a Miller Light. And there was a core, or there was a bush light. Now the bush light was entertaining somewhat, as you had Sarah McLaughlin singing to the animals of the woods. That was kind of entertaining. You had uh, you, Doritos. There was one Dorito commercial. One. It only played once during the entire Super Bowl, and it was kind of crap. I, maybe people disagree with me, but it was a little weird with them doing the whole triangle thing. Very Illuminati-esque, not to put on the tinfoil hat there, but it was very retro, it was very new age, and it was very uh, Illuminati-esque, if I can speak, with the whole triangle fluorescent thing that happened yesterday. Wasn't impressed with the Doritos commercial. I remember when I was at the broadcasting school years ago, trying to get into radio and TV at the very beginning, that Doritos, when they were at the height of their Super Bowl commercial ads, they used to have a competition for every media broadcasting school out there for radio and TV all over the country, they would have a contest, and they would give away $500, whatever it was. They would give away and have a contest for students at broadcasting schools to come up with the most creative Doritos TV ad for the Super Bowl, and we could potentially win. And I remember doing that competition. We obviously didn't win, but we did that competition, and we tried to find the most clever, unique, fun, out there type of commercial ad for Doritos. And then they would look at it and get these submissions from all over the country at multiple different broadcasting schools from these students that were creative, trying to get their foot in the door in the realm of media. And then they would take it, they would pay them a little bit, and then they would use that commercial and film it and spend the millions of dollars to use that for their actual Super Bowl TV ad. 
I don't know if they do that anymore because it wasn't that creative in any way, shape, or form, in my humble opinion. Actually, the most one of the most entertaining ads was the Breaking Bad one regarding a different kind of chip. I don't even remember the name of the chip, which apparently didn't have that much of an impact if I can't remember the product they were trying to sell. But it was another chip with the characters from Breaking Bad. That was it. That was cool. You had John Travolta singing from Greece. That was kind of neat, I guess. You had the Bush beer one. Really, the, uh, the oh, that's right, the premature electrification. That was clever. Well done, guys. That was probably the most clever one out of the entire night, was the premature electrification supporting the new Chevy truck that was going to be an all-EV vehicle. And for those trying to transition into the electric vehicle realm, the premature electrification. I applaud you for that one. That was probably the most creative ad of the entire night for that one. You had the uh, uh, the cougars in your area want to meet you, like promoting the TV show for the zoo animals or something. That was hilarious. I chuckled at that one a little bit. And then you had probably the scariest one, and I mean scary as in people freaked out, and it was all over my social media, of the Tubi commercial that looked like it interrupted the broadcast of the NFL, which definitely had its impact because my wife, Mrs. Voice of Reason, looked at me and said, Andy, are you sitting on the remote? Why did you just change the channel? And then I saw everybody else comment on there afterwards on social media as well, thinking the exact same thing. So I give them props for that. But the haha, that was absolutely awesome. It's going to be stuck in my gray, you know, stuck in my brain the whole time. The what's up? Remember those 90s hits? Classic. Didn't get any of those that are going to be memorable from 10, 20, 30 years from now to be like, man, you remember that ad? It just didn't happen. I was a little let down from that. The only entertaining part of the actual broadcast was the actual game itself. For a guy who hasn't watched a football game in four years, I was actually enthralled with the football game all the way up until the very end when the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously hailing from Wichita, Kansas here, my home state, so therefore I have to support the Chiefs, uh, saw them win by a field goal at the very end of the at the game. Uh, that was probably the most entertaining part. Chris Stapleton did a fantastic job at the National Anthem. I didn't get to watch it live because I was trying to figure out how to watch it because my app wasn't downloading properly. But I did watch it afterwards uh, earlier this morning, and I had no interest in watching the Black National Anthem that broadcast before the game as well. Outside of that, pretty forgettable with the entire broadcast itself. The commercials, the halftime show, the uh, nice little messaging, the subliminal messaging, if anybody did catch it, at the little tips of the end zones on both ends they said end racism which cool we all support that hoorah but why would you include that in an nfl broadcast for a football game of course they had to put in their nice little political spin to it which reminded me why i have not watched an nfl broadcast in so many years because i'm tired of the political messaging from an athletic organization that's promoting non-political issues like watching a sporting event and being able to zone out from the actual world there's another reason why i watched it though that didn't have to do with the broadcast itself other than what could have been interrupting the broadcast in some way, shape, or form. And for those that have been watching all of these shooting downs of different UFOs, and we use the UFO term not necessarily because of aliens, but because it is an unidentified flying object, the government now using it as UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, because they don't know what the hell a lot of these are. We've shot down four over the last eight, ten days, whatever. Now the first one being included, the Chinese balloon. The other three that we're not sure of, we saw one. Here's the crazy part. We shot one down over Alaska. We shot one down over over Canada. We also shot one down over Lake Huron in the Michigan area. But there's also been reports of sightings of UAPs or UFOs in Argentina and in Italy over the weekend as well. 
And I knew it. Now, the th- one of the theories is, for those out there that may not follow this, I love listening to these other talk show hosts, by the way, that just do current events that know nothing about UFOs or ETs or anything of the sort, trying to talk about this issue because I chuckle as a nerd who studies this stuff and who enjoys it and listens to, you know, Coast to Coast AM and listens to different podcasts regarding actual aliens and ETs, listens to, quote unquote, experts who study them, who know about different ET races, I, I think at least. I have a general understanding of how some of these guys work, if they are credible in any way, shape, or form, uh, or the conspiracy theories behind that as well. I enjoy listening to some of these other guys that have no clue what they're talking about regarding ETs, and or whether it's drones or UAPs or UFOs or whatever they're whatever else they're doing. But there was a major reason why I watched the Super Bowl, is there is a theory out there, and there I guess you could call it a conspiracy theory, although I think it is actually... Uh, public on the FBI and CIA websites for some of the documents that they passed uh, prior to in the years past. But there's a conspiracy theory out there regarding Operation Blue Beam. If you've never heard, uh, put on the tinfoil hat for a second. Let's get into the weird news of the day. Weird news of the day. Bear with me for a second. There is a conspiracy out there called Operation Blue Beam. If you've never heard of it, you can look it up. Is uh, some another talk show who says Google it. You can look it up and see what Operation Blue Beam is, which essentially says that the government's going to propose some operation in order to create another lockdown or create another fear or create paranoia in the general public with a staged alien invasion or a staged second coming of Jesus. As you know, the government has well-advanced technology, well above what's available or even known it to us in the public sector. Uh, it used to be that they were anywhere between five to 10 years ahead of us. Now they're anywhere between three to 500 years advanced at technology within the government that we have no clue about and that we're not aware of in any way, shape or form. And according to Operation Blue Beam, that they would stage a alien invasion or the second coming of Jesus based on holographic technology, based on UFOs, based on drones that we have that look like UFOs, whatever. And they would stage this in order to create fear and paranoia, in order to militarize space and create the militarization of space to be able to lock down and control the population based on this fear base, saying that the aliens are here to harm you. Now, uh, with that being said, and with all of the UFOs, I use that in air quotes again, UFOs that we've seen over the last week, I watched the Super Bowl intently last night because if this conspiracy theory was to come true with this Operation Blue Beam, what better way to scare the entire public and let people know about a staged alien invasion or some type of invasion or some type of UAP aerial phenomenon that we have no clue anything about? What better way to do it than the number one most televised broadcast event of the entire year with millions of people watching? So I was ready, and I was intently watching for the game because the game was entertaining, and coming from Kansas, I have to support the Kansas City Chiefs, but I was watching intently outside of the game, outside of the commercials, outside of the halftime show, specifically to not miss the UFO that was going to present itself at the Super Bowl 57 last night. I was ready. (laughs) I was ready, and it didn't happen, which kind of shot down my theory right now that Operation Blue Beam is actually in effect. So then we have to go to some other theories about what the heck these things are. The weird part is, is that the government's not giving us any information. Weird, not weird. We know it's expected. The government, when they finally start talking about something, you know it's not true because if they start talking about it, you know it's a lie. And now that they're keeping the concept open and not ruling anything out, quote unquote, according to NORAD regarding UFOs and the existence of ETs and the ETs actually being here using these that we've shot down. The fact that they did not rule that out 
in a very specified press conference, letting people know what's going on, but yet not knowing anything about this should be a major red flag for most individuals. And you may have heard this all day long, but here's my two cents because this is a fascinating way to approach this issue. Imagine, if you will, you are an ET coming to, the, coming to Earth for the first time in a spaceship that travels at the speed of light because that's what you would need to get here because of how far everything is away from each other in the universe. Or faster than the speed of light. There's theories out there that they use uh, the time-space continuum as like waves in a paper. If you crunch it up and you go from point A to point B at a very fast time through black holes or wormholes or you use space-time continuums in order to travel, uh, maybe they're interdimensional as some like to talk about as there are According to physics, multiple different dimensions outside of just the 3D world that we see right now. There's at least 12 of them, according to – I'm no expert. Don't quote me on this. But there's at least 12 of them that we know of through physics and quantum physics, at least 12 different dimensions that they can bypass through time. So, therefore, they could be hovering over us right now. We just don't see them because they're in a different dimension. And then they just appear. Voila. You're telling me if we just assume all of those theories – Again, tinfoil hat, weird conversation right now. Totally okay. Weird news of the day. (laughs) You're telling me that someone that can pass through different dimensions or can travel at the speed of light, and even some of the, like Bob Lazar, who worked at Area 51 and knew about the element that we just came public with over the last couple years and practiced supposedly using and maneuvering these things back and forth, side to side, with no stopping. You're telling me those are getting shot down by a fighter jet that can only go a singular direction in a straight line at a relatively slow pace you're telling me that they're that in advance but yet they got here somehow i'm bursting my own bubble about the hopeful vts being here reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I know that last conversation probably like made a half the listeners' eyes glaze over. Andy, what the hell are you talking about? It's okay. And unfortunately, this is a very sad conversation to be had. I was looking forward to it. I was so hopeful, man. So hopeful that maybe finally we could start seeing some ETs out there. Firm believer, baby. 110%. I know as I know as I know. And I'm ready for him. I'm ready for the introduction on the public scape. But now that the government is talking about it the way that they are, that we're not leaving anything off the table right now. We don't know anything about these things. It's totally open up in the air. Imagine, if you will, we are, whether we like to admit it or not, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, we are uh, the most technologically advanced nation on the face of the earth. We're probably up there competing with China Maybe a little bit with Russia, although they've kind of seen a few pegs be knocked down uh, with this whole incursion into Ukraine, because if they can't take over Ukraine, that's an entirely another issue and pretty pathetic for them. And all they have is their nuclear button that they're not that they're threatening to hit, but they haven't hit it so far. So I would say that out of them, China and the U.S. are probably the most technologically advanced on the face of the earth. So that being said. You're telling me that the most technologically advanced nation on the face of the earth has zero clue about any of this stuff. We know that they're lying and that they're not telling us the full truth. All we know is that one of the objects was apparently octagon-shaped, which makes people, again, think that it's ooh, ETs and aliens. Weird news of the day. I know. I know, right? And as much as I would like to believe that, and I hope that it was that, the fact that they're leaving it not, uh, they're not keeping it off the table 
in any way, shape, or form, according to NORAD in their statement and the military. And they're not giving us anything. We know nothing about this. You're telling me with all of our radar and our sonar and everything else that we have, we know zero about this thing. Zero. We obviously saw it. We obviously shot it down. We haven't seen any video of the shooting down, but apparently we shot it down. We have video of that. We had the sonar and radar to know that it was there. We should have some idea of what these things actually are. So the fact that they're leaving it on the table of potential ETs means that the government's probably keeping something from us and it's not ETs. It, it breaks my heart, man. <laughs> breaks my heart to say that it's not an ET because I really, really, really was hoping that it actually was. So that leaves Operation Bluebeam. As we mentioned in the past, which is the conspiracy theory that they're going to stage a ET or the second coming of Jesus in the sky. So that way people are caught off guard with what's actually going on and keeping us distracted from something else or living in the fear based or allowing ourselves to get locked down again or allowing them to impose whatever militarization that they want uh, for some type of political gain. That's why I watched the Super Bowl. Didn't see the UFO over the uh, stadium there for them to be speculating on and do the vast announcement of some type of Operation Bluebeam. So that one's off the table. So the real question is why they're keeping things so far out in the open right now and they're keeping it as we have no clue what's going on means they're full of crap and they're covering something up. The question is what? What's the distraction that we're staying away from here? Is it the investigations going on in Washington, D.C. with the Biden family right now? Or is it just the fact that they're trying to cover kind of the CYA right now, cover your own you-know-what, because of how poorly that they've ran certain issues? When they allowed the Chinese balloon to fly over the country just a week or so ago and complete its entire mission before shooting it down when it got to the ocean, be like, hey, hey we did it. Now they're trying to be proactive, and whether this is our technology or whether it is the Chinese technology, now they're trying to be forefront with it and shoot it down before it gains any other attention and say, ha we got it even before you noticed it because we handled the prior issue so badly. Remember the issue and the conspiracy theory about 9-11, how the conspiracy was that the government was involved in it, which seems to be there has to be some credible conversation about that one but then the conspiracy started about that saying that the government started the conspiracy about the government being involved in 9-11 so that way they didn't look incompetent with their security measures to stop it from actually happening so the theory is they started their conspiracy about them actually being involved in it so they show that they still had some type of power and say in the situation i'm wondering if this is not one of those scenarios as well they're starting the conspiracy about the aliens saying that we're handling it to reboost themselves with confidence after failing to shoot down a simple balloon from China in the first round. Makes this you think a little bit, right? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I can guarantee you that we probably broke a lot of brains in that last segment. That's totally okay. And I can guarantee you as well that this is probably the most unique talk show that you've ever heard on a political front regarding some of these issues. Why? Because we're an interesting species here on this program. It's all right. I can guarantee you as well that I'm definitely the walking cliche of conservative talk radio. That's (laughs) That's all right as well. When it comes down to it with these issues, with the UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, that we've shot down over the last week or so, the government lying to us, like, we don't know anything about them. Okay. But we're not keeping ETs off the table. We're just, we're, we don't know. All right. 
When you know that they're saying something, you know that they're lying, which means right now everything that we can do is speculate. That's all we can do. We know nothing about it. We have no information. The government's not releasing any of it. The media is only releasing what they want to, which right now is nothing for them either, which kind of builds up the you know intensity and the excitement about it and what really is here. And while, it, as I said, as excited as I am about an ET connection and contact with us, the fact that the government's even considering it now means that it's not happening. I'm just throwing that out there. That it's not it. So the question is, what are, what's really going on and what don't they want us to know? I personally believe right now, with the little bit of information that we know, is the fact that the Biden administration has handled the whole China balloon thing so terribly that they've had this in their back pocket ready to say, oh, look, now we're shooting these things down before you even know about them. Look how on top of things we are. Because they handled it so poorly, the fact that they allowed the entire Chinese spy mission to happen and then shoot it down in the ocean after it was done and then pat themselves on the back that they did a good job. I think they're getting so much heat that they're trying to recover from that and saying, oh, look, we're going to release these things. Or maybe it is Chinese. Who knows? But they're shooting them down before we even know about them, as they have admitted as well, uh, with the Security Council admitting that China has a really, really intense spying program. Really? We didn't know that before? Man. Really? Blows my mind. We'll get back to some of that here a little bit later as well. I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, some of those conspiracies. But the conspiracy, just like 9-11, where the conspiracy was that the government was involved with 9-11, and then the other theory came about that the government had actually leaked it, the story of the government being involved in 9-11, so that way it recovers their credibility a little bit with their lack of security measures. Is that what's going on here? is that now they're leaking their own stories about shooting down issues uh, and creating the scenario to keep you in fear in in dazed and uh, confused states and then trying to say, well, we don't have any information on these. So much speculation, we could go down so many rabbit holes to discuss it and have some fun with it. But until then, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to have some other fun. What's trending today? Let's talk about presidential administrations, not the Biden administration, but let's go back over the last century and talk about the evolution that we've seen in the office itself from president to president and maybe some of the uh, the repeated history that we've seen with many administrations, how they've handled certain issues, uh, to me is a fascinating topic, and I'm really happy to have on the program as we get into our latest with the latest book, We the Presidents, How American Presidents Shaped the Last Century. Excited to have on the program with us here, Mr. Ron Gruner. Ron, how are you, my friend? Very good, very good. Yeah, nice I'm, to chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here. First and foremost, uh, we were talking off the air a little bit coming from the Mid-America region here. Did you watch the Super Bowl last night, and what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, uh, of course we watched it, and I enjoyed it. And I have to say, I mean, that the last two minutes reminded me of the Patriots. I spent much of my life in Boston the last mm. 20 years watching the Patriots, and as you know, oftentimes they pulled it out at the very end. So my hat's off to the Chiefs. They did a great job. Did a fantastic job. I was a little disappointed with some of the commercials, though. Not as, like, sticking out entertaining as what we've seen in the past. No, you're absolutely right. Nothing really stuck in my mind as a great commercial. Yeah. Ah, it's brutal. Breaks my heart. Let's talk about your book, We the Presidents. I love this. History is one of we're the place where we love to nerd out on this program. And we've seen some evolution, obviously, in the administrations. And we can go back all the way to the beginning here. But... We do seem to repeat history. It seems like we we go through these times where we kind of battle the same issues over and over again, don't we? No, that's uh, that's definitely true. And, and many of the issues we're dealing with here in the United States today, uh, immigration, for example, have been issues that have uh, kind of resur- have surged roughly every 30, or 40, 50 years within the United States. They come up over and over again as an example. 
So history may not repeat itself, but like Mark Twain said, it definitely echoes or rhymes. Yeah. Uh, that is very true. Let's go back to the uh, beginning here where you kind of start off with uh, Warren Harding. And and we even go a little bit prior to that one. But talk about not only technologically advances and, and difference, but political current events on what happened then compared to what we're seeing today and some of the similarities that we're noticing. Well, the, uh, the book itself goes back 100 years and, and discusses 17 presidents, starting with Warren G. Harding through Donald Trump. And... Uh, with, his, with respect to Warren G. Harding, um, he was a president that only was in office for two and a half years. He, he died of a heart attack in August of 1923, unexpectedly. Uh, he's oftentimes rated, Jimmy always rated as one of the, uh, the bottom five presidents. And I think, his, I think that's a mistake. Uh, he did a number of things, I think, that were actually quite interesting. Uh, one of the most important things is uh, he brought in Andrew Mellon as the tre- uh, Secretary of Treasury. And Andrew Mellon was really the father of supply-side economics. His idea uh, coming into office in 1921 was that taxes had been raised very high during World War I to pay off the war debt, mm-hmm. and taxes were as high as in the range of uh, 70 to 80%. And it was Andrew uh, Mellon working with Harding who said, look, that actually reduces tax revenues. If we reduce tax rates down to 50 or even 25%, we'll collect more tax revenues and that can then be reinvested in, in productivity and, uh, uh, development. So they did that, and that was one of the reasons for the strong boom in the 1920s. So it was really uh, uh, Harding and his uh, Treasury Secretary, Mellon, that were the fathers of supply-side economics, which we, of course, have seen echoing in the 1980s under Ronald Reagan, and more recently uh, under the Bushes, and, of course, under Donald Trump. That's one example, for example. Yeah, we definitely see the similarities there because now we, and, and that's right around the time, correct me if I'm wrong, that's right around the time where we started doing more of an income uh, tax where we just take it right off the top of the check before you even get your check as opposed to just going sales tax because of funding for certain wars, isn't it? Well, that's correct. I mean, the, uh, the deduction actually happened in World War II. Uh, yeah. Before that, everybody thought that taxes once a year. But it was in World War II that they began to actually deduct taxes out of your pay, uh, your your paycheck. Uh, that happened in World War II to pay for the war. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, over the, really since that time, World War One, World War Two. That's kind of the onset of. Um, where government really focused on kind of the, what I like to call the fourth branch of uh, the different agencies, different departments, starting the Department of Education, Department of this, Department of that. So we really saw after FDR and the in the New Deal as we really saw kind of the expansion of reliability on government, didn't we? Prior to that, there wasn't nearly as much of that. No, of course not. I mean, Calvin Coolidge, who was, who was uh, Harding's uh, vice president and inherited the presidency after Harding died, uh, was very much a minimalist in terms of government. Uh, very much uh, reduced the size of government everywhere possible. So we ran significant surpluses of the 1920s. That was both due to increased tax revenues, but even more importantly, to decrease government spending. So government spending as a percentage of GDP came down significantly in the 1920s due to Harding and Coolidge. And then, of course, Harding uh, Hoover came in as president. We had the Great Depression, and the strategy that Franklin Roosevelt had was that if if uh, companies aren't hiring, the government will, and that's when we saw the growth of the federal government starting in the 1930s under Franklin Roosevelt. Before that, with Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover, the government shrank. Mm. 
What was the, the federal what, government. what was the reasoning and and was there support for that obviously during FDR with the expansion of government? If the prior administrations we saw a downside, which blows my mind. I mean, less living in this time, I've never seen the government actually downsize itself. So that's mind blowing to think that it ever even happened. But what was the cause of that? We hear that it was because of the concerns of obviously the Great Depression and people needing certain government checks and needing handouts and and needing help during that time. Was that really the case? And did people actually jump on board with it that easily when he was pushing that agenda? Well, it, it really was the case. I mean, what happened, we have to think about uh, what was actually going through people's minds from 1929 to 1932 during the Hoover administration. I mean, the stock market collapsed, the dollar collapsed, we had uh, the deflation of the dollar, uh, the Federal Reserve was uh, restricting uh, monetary growth. So people became, and, and you had, I think, six or 7,000 bank closures. Banks just disappeared. And that was before FDIC. So when a bank closed, that money simply disappeared, mm-hmm. went away. Yeah. And so that caused a tremendous amount of fear. And what happened uh, during the Hoover administration, I think, uh, quite honestly, is fear dominated the whole American culture and American economic system. Companies were not investing. Companies were not hiring. People were not buying. They weren't consuming. And that was just feeding on itself, causing the depression to get worse and worse. When Roosevelt came into power, into, into the office, uh, and unemployment was almost 25%, almost 25%. One out of four people were out of work. Wow. And uh, what Roosevelt did was he said, we're going to put people to work uh, with a WPA, building dams, building highways, building roads, uh, building uh, concert halls, building golf courses, just put them to work. And that's what Roosevelt did to begin to get the uh, nation turned around because companies, frankly, were not doing it and people weren't buying. Yeah, very interesting stuff. We're talking with Ron Gruner, author of the book, The We the Presidents, How American Presidents Shaped the Last Century. You can find it online at gruner.com. You can also find it on Amazon and other places as well. Let's move forward in time just a little bit to right around Korean War, Vietnam War, those issues in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Obviously, I was not around at that time. I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'm 34 years old. So uh, I enjoy that portion of history, and I find that absolutely fascinating. But it was a time where conflicts started happening and we weren't actually declaring a state of war by Congress. Talk about the, the time frame there and talk about the conversations that were happening in the White House at that time. Well, with, I would start with the, uh, the Truman administration, who uh, basically uh, became president after only being in office uh, as the vice president for 82 days. Yeah. Actually, hey, Ron, I'm sorry, Ron, I, I just looked at the clock here. i got to take a heart. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Of course I can. Fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, time got away from me here. So let's take a hard break real quick. When we come back, I want to continue that conversation as we go into We the Presidents, the latest book at Gruner.com. Go and check it out. Lots more coming up here on a Monday for The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm telling you, this is why we need more than just an hour program. You get into the middle of something, right in the middle of a topic, it's awesome. And then we got to take a break, and we're almost out of time already as well. A few minutes left here. We're hanging out with Ron Gruner. We have to get him back on the show and talk some more about this as we go along here. Author of the book, We the Presidents, How American Presidents Shaped the Last Century. Ron, uh, we I apologize. We cut you off right there as we were talking about the uh, going into the Truman era, into Vietnam and Korea in that time, and really the shift in 
how we look at certain issues, especially conflicts. And I use conflicts because we never declared an official state of war from Congress. So they were just considered conflicts. Uh, continue on. What was going on at this time? Well, that's correct. The last time Congress declared a state of war was in World War II. Yeah. Uh, the Vietnam War, the Korean War were conflicts when they were given the, gave the president almost full discretion to conduct war without the approval of Congress. So that was the last time in World War II. But I think that uh, mentioning uh, Truman and uh, trust in the government and issues going on, I think to me one of the biggest tragedies in the last 100 years was what happened in Vietnam. In the summer of 1945, after World War II was closing, uh, basically Harry Truman made an agreement with the French that the French would be allowed to keep Vietnam or Indochina after the end of the war, as opposed to giving Indochina and Vietnam their freedom. So after the war was over, Ho Chi Minh, who many Americans think of as a great enemy of the United States, petitioned the United States and wrote Truman three letters and made a speech patterned around the uh, Declaration of Independence asking for Vietnam's independence from France and was ignored. Ho Chi Minh was actually a great American patriot for most of his life. People don't realize that he lived in the United States in the 1910 to 1912 region area uh, time frame and lived in Boston and worked at the Parker House Hotel baking Boston cream pies and Parker House rolls. He was a great American patriot. When World War II started, he came back to Indochina and fought with the American OFS against the Japanese. So it was only after we rejected his pleas for freedom uh, uh, from, from uh, France in 1945 that he began to drift away. Civil war developed in China, uh, Indochina and Vietnam. Uh, he got support from the Russians and became, quote, a communist. And that was a huge lost opportunity that we simply didn't say to France, look, Vietnam deserves its freedom. They were a great supporter of the United States against the Japanese in World War II. And uh, huge lost opportunity. Wow. Ron, I could talk to you about this stuff forever. Last question as we kind of let you go. we got about a minute and a half left here as we kind of wrap up. But over the years, the power of the executive branch itself and the White House and the president itself, how has that power grown or dwindled? Now we see more executive orders, and they increase every year based on the administration. Uh, Congress passes a lot of the power off, as we mentioned, to the fourth branch of government with all the agencies and bureaucrats. Um, but the power of it from Harding, when you study this, all the way up to Trump and even Joe Biden now, how has the executive branch changed when it comes to the amount of power and ability for them to do things? Well, the executive branch has has increased power, really beginning with uh, Franklin Roosevelt significantly. And a major reason for that is, frankly, Congress doesn't want to be held accountable to make hard decisions. <laughs> so they've kind of offloaded that to the executive branch. I mean, a good example of that I think we're going to be facing in the next uh, 10 years is what's happening with Medicare and Social Security. Those two funds are basically lose, uh, going to go broke in the next 10 years, and somebody, namely Congress, has got to face up to what they're going to do about that. Well, that is very true. Then we see the executive branch like Biden right now signing uh, in a, an attempted executive order with the Department of Education to try and do f student loan uh, forgiveness programs that you would think having spending, what, you know, two trillion dollars on something like that, that you would need congressional approval. And now it's in the Supreme Court to decide whether Congress needs to approve a program like that. That's kind of mind boggling yep. to me. I, I hope Congress, I hope the Supreme Court says, yes, Congress has to be involved in that because they have basically they're responsible for the budget. Congress, through the Constitution, is responsible for the budget and federal spending, not the executive branch. And so uh, we'll see what happens on that. 
We'll see what happens with it. You're right. We need to start reining in some of that power and redistributing the power back to the evenly between the three branches of government, which is the way it was intended. It's Ron Gruner. The book is We the Presidents. Go and check it out. Gruner.com is the website. You can also find it on Amazon and other places like that. Ron, I appreciate it so much, my friend. we got to get you back on the show and talk some more about this. I would look forward to it, Andy. Hey, look forward to it as well. We appreciate that. There it is. Show's already done for Monday. Flies right on by when you're having fun. We'll do some more of it tomorrow. We'll break some more down. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get some information on the government's investigation on these things they're shooting down that they can't retrieve, apparently, for some reason or something. Who knows? All that plus some of the other stuff going on with the uh, with the investigations in D.C. and, of course, the Super Bowl. I want to get your thoughts some more on that tomorrow as well. But until then... Be your own voice of reason. Remember, we have the common sense and we're going to question everything until it actually makes sense, which means we need to educate ourselves. Be that catalyst for change in your own community. This is your show. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is the Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow.